you, Lanny, and choir and instrumentalists for our beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount. You're familiar with this passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. We minimize our own faults and exaggerate the faults of others. We minimize our own faults and exaggerate the faults of others. We have a rosy view of ourselves and a rotten view of others. We have a rosy view of ourselves and a rotten view of others. Remind the lady who walked into the psychiatrist's office, she had a strip of bacon hanging on each ear and a fried egg on top of her head and said, I'm here to talk about my brother today. <laughs> or the tenant who complained that the people upstairs were getting on his nerves. Why, just last night they were banging on the floor after midnight. Oh, said the landlord, did it awaken you? Oh, it just so happened I was still up practicing my tuba, so it, it didn't. The suspicions we have concerning other people are more often than not born from the knowledge we have about ourselves. The suspicions we have about other people more often than not are born out of the knowledge we have about ourselves. How quickly I'm able to spot in you what I have done or desire to do within myself. And that's what makes criticism and judgment of others' lives and actions so dangerous. Jesus says, by doing so, I'm in essence condemning myself. In our text this morning, Jesus makes some very strong statements against the practice of judging the lives of others. Well, first of all, there's a prohibitive command in verse 1. The prohibitive command. Do not judge, lest you be judged. Do not judge, lest you be judged. Now, we all know that our Lord, given what He said elsewhere, isn't calling for all of us to halt any sense of moral discernment. He's not asking us to live a life where anything goes and we accept all actions. That's not what He's saying. That's what we hear, I know, out on the pop psychology shows. He, he can't possibly be saying that because this same Lord in verse 6 and verse 15 describes people as dogs, pigs, and ravenous wolves in the same breath. Pretty strong words for someone saying, do not judge. But it's obvious. That is a community of faith. We have to hold up standards of behavior and discipline and call each other to walk in the ways of the Lord, to be able to discern through Christ and His Word the difference between good and evil. So Jesus is not saying that we are to somehow suspend our sense of moral discernment. What is He saying? He's saying this, don't separate, don't distinguish, don't prejudge, don't discriminate, don't have a critical spirit and a censorious attitude. You cannot suppose that you are the final judge and jury. 
When we're critical and judgmental, we are asserting a sort of subtle self-righteousness. What we're saying is, I'm better than you, and I have the knowledge by which to judge your actions and attitudes. Romans 12, 3, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourselves. We are to think soberly of ourselves as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. Or in Romans 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, but in lowliness of mind let each of you think of others, esteem others better than himself. We are forbidding, forbidden from judging and criticizing because it all begins with this sense of sinful pride that I am spiritually superior to you, and therefore I have a right to cast light on your shortfall. We're forbidden from developing that censorious sinful pride that says, I'm better than you. I am qualified to judge you. I've even heard people make statements like, Man, I'm just good at reading people. It's a gift I have. Let me translate that for you. I have the ability to assign to you the motives I think are behind your behavior. And once I assign to you what is in your heart, then I'll judge you based on what I've placed in your heart through my mind. You get that? What an arrogant statement. It's a gift from the Lord. You know, I just know. I can tell. I can sense, I can read people, I can judge. Really? You have the ability to know what only the Holy Spirit knows? What's in the hearts and minds of those around you? Be careful about judging and being critical and pointing out the faults of everybody around you. Arizona Republic told the story of Terry Michael, who was speeding toward Tucson. He passed an unmarked Arizona Highway Patrol car. The officer pulled uh, Terry Michael over, and he explained he was on his way to teach a class at the University of Arizona. He was running behind, and so he's sorry, but he went fast. And so, well, the highway patrolman gave him a stern warning and let him off. And as the highway patrolman was walking away, he turned and says, he turned and said to him, slow down. And drive safe. Wait a minute, said the professor. I hate to do this, but you really needed an adverb there instead of adjective. It should have been slow down and drive safely, not safe. The officer proceeded to write a $72 ticket to the professor that he had previously just given a warning. When you know better, it's hard to shut up, isn't it? Catherine Marshall tells of a one-day experiment. It was a real eye-opener for her. She said, in my life, I was being so critical and, and just judgmental of everybody around me, of those in the workplace, those in my family, everybody around me. And I, and I read that morning for my daily devotion, Romans 14, 13. So don't criticize each other anymore, Romans 14, 13. So don't criticize each other anymore. 
She tried to put it out of her mind and not think about it and say, well, I've been given this ability to think and assess and rationalize and I'm able to make judgments and I shouldn't suspend those judgments. And all day long the Holy Spirit was reminding her of that passage, so don't criticize each other anymore. Okay, she said to the Holy Spirit, for one day I'll try an experiment. For one day I won't be critical about anyone, about anything. I will fast from criticism. Well, she wondered how the day would go. She had lunch with her husband and children, and there was the usual lunch, but there was an unusual silence from Catherine Marshall herself because she didn't realize that everything she ever said must have been critical because now that she wasn't allowed to criticize, she didn't have anything to say. It was in the middle of the afternoon, she writes, that something special really began to happen. There was a, a floodgate of ideas of good things that began in my mind, and I began to think of all sorts of things. A college student who need my prayers, a letter of encouragement I could write to a family member in a different state, and it all came to me. You see, she was marveled at the end of the day at what had transpired because she had withheld the critical spirit. There was a flood of a positive spirit that came into her life. And she says, my one-day experiment became a lifetime habit for me. Second thing, the punishing indictment, verse 2. The punishing indictment. For in the way you judge, not only a prohibitive command, but the punishing indictment. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. We set up a false criteria when we judge others based upon our own strengths. You see how that happens? We compare their area of weakness against our area of strength, and by doing it that way, we feel really good about ourselves. I had a, a roommate in college. He drove a baby blue, powder blue General Motors car with a soft white leather top. He kept his car absolutely spotless. It looked as if he had washed his car every single day. You'd ride with him, there wouldn't be so much as a blade of grass or a straw wrapper or anything in the car. It was immaculate. You wouldn't put down little plastic mats when you sat down. He kept it so, so perfect. You know what he said one day as I got into his perfect car, my college roommate? You know, I think you can tell a lot about a person by the way he keeps his car. That's what he said. Well, of course he thinks that. He was saying that to a guy who did a semi-annual wash whether my car needed it or not. This is not a lie. When I was trying to pastor a church and work on my Ph.D. at the same time at Baylor, I washed my car one time and the neighbors came across the street to see the new car that we had bought. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> The only thing I figured about a guy who keeps his car that clean, the only thing you can tell about that is he puts a high priority on a clean car. And I do a lot better now, and that's a good thing. 
But I'm not sure that it says anything about your morals, does it? Really? We judge others based upon our strengths compared to their weaknesses. And we, therefore, we begin to feel really, really good about ourselves and what we're doing in our lives. Alexander Pope expressed uh, the problem so poetically. Of all the causes which conspire to blind men's erring judgment and misguide the mind, what the weak head with the strongest bias rules is pride, the never-failing vice of fools. We judge ourselves less harshly because we know our intentions. We know what's on the inside of ourselves. And even when we don't get it right on the outside, when I'm judging myself, I give myself the benefit of the doubt because I know I didn't mean to do it wrong. It just went wrong, but my, my heart was in the right place, and so I give myself a pass. Grace, it's okay. But when I look at you, I don't know what's on the inside. I only see what's on the outside. And so when you miss the mark on the outside, the grace that I've given to myself, I do not extend to you. You just messed up. You got it wrong. You see? We are so kind when it comes to measuring ourselves, we use a completely different rule of measure. Notice what he says again in verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Perhaps you've heard the story of the lady who is sick and tired of her elderly, feeble mother who lived with her breaking all the china. It seemed like every time they sat down for a meal, she would get shaky and crack a glass, chip a plate. It, and one day she broke a very expensive bowl, and that was the last straw. And so the lady ordered her son to go to the market and buy a dog bowl from which she would serve her mother's meal. No more broken china. The boy went to the market came back with two dog bowls. Son, why'd you waste money? Grandmother doesn't need but one bowl. Oh, said the son, I went ahead and bought one for when you get old, too. By the measure that you judge, you will be judged says Jesus. Every wrong I see in you, God therefore finds in me. That's scary. Every wrong my heart points out in you, God therefore searches and finds in me. What is he saying? You want to use that rule of measure, Howie? On others, then I'll use that rule of measure on you. Every time I judge you, I'm self condemning. A judgmental attitude excludes us from God's pardon, 
Jesus says. For it betrays a lack of grace, an unbroken spirit, a missing of the gospel. What we're saying when we have censorious spirits is, God, I, I, don't, I don't want to go by the grace thing. I like the law thing. I want to measure everybody around me and everybody in my family by the letter of the law. And God says, okay. If that's the measure you choose to use, then I will use it on you. I don't know about you, but I, I certainly don't want to be in the standard setting business when it comes to judgment. A French writer and moralist once wrote, if we had no faults of our own, we should not take so much pleasure in noticing them in others. If we had no faults of our own, we should not take so much pleasure in noticing those in others. When I can take you and pull you down to size in my own mind, in my own heart, and maybe out loud around others, then I feel like maybe I stand just a little taller, you see? But what Jesus is saying is that we must be so very carefully for as we hold another's feet to the fire, God also holds our feet to the fire. Listen to Romans 2.1. Paul says what Jesus says, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you practice the same things that you're judging. That's Paul. Paul's version of what Jesus is saying here. When we, you and I are so busy saying what's right and wrong in the lives of everybody else, then the reality is we're showing we are without excuse because we know the right from the wrong. As we pose as judges, Jesus, Paul, the both are saying we cannot plead ignorance because we have shown that we know the right from the wrong. Is there another way to do relationships? Do we have to always be at critical war with those in our family, with our neighbor? Do we always have to be knocking down everybody in the workplace, in the schoolhouse, the hospital, the bank? Is that what we have to do? It's odd, but I, I've noticed this. As people age, many of them become more gracious in spirit. As people move into their senior years, they become more loving often and, and more forgiving. It's in Ken Burns' television series on Civil War. The narrator describes a remarkable scene. It's the 50th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. 1913 is the 50th anniversary of the battle, and the two armies are going to reenact what happened that day. And the old Union soldiers who are still alive go up in the clouds and the rocks. And the Confederate veterans are, are still there, begin marching across the field. And just like they did on that day 50 days earlier, the Union soldiers began to rush down from the hill and collide with the Confederate soldiers there on the field below. But this time, even after the shouts of war, they embraced and wept. It was completely different than it had been 50 years. 
before. They openly embraced and wept. At the end of this day, one more day of your life is over. Checked off. Gone. Do you and I really want to live our lives in the critic's corner? If only we could see that the people with whom we are at war, that we are as much or more to blame for the tension in the relationship than they themselves. It's a punishing indictment. When we judge others, we set the standard by which we're asking God to judge us. Here's the last thing, a third thing. A poignant parable. Look at verse 3 through 5. A poignant parable. And why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, sometimes he admits it's necessary to do the, the little surgery to help your brother with his sin, to get that little sawdust out of his eye. But isn't, you imagine, the political cartoon, the guy with a two-by-four sticking out of his eye, reaching over with tweezers to get a speck of sawdust out of his neighbor's eye. First look at yourself, the parable says. Shouldn't you and I deal with the brokenness in our own lives before we try to fix the brokenness in everyone else? Maybe Jesus is saying when we're deploring the sins of others, we're actually ratting on ourselves. When I talk a lot about your adultery, maybe it's my own lust that bothers me. When I'm shouting about murder, maybe it's the anger in my heart. This is what the Sermon on the Mount's about in context. Maybe when I want to lengthen the prison sentence for those who steal, maybe it's my own greed. That's the issue. You see, when we constantly point out the weaknesses and failures of others it's a smoke screen maybe we'll get God's eye off of us and onto another maybe we'll get the eyes of those in the community off of us and onto another and maybe we'll get our own judgment off ourselves and onto another but it doesn't work at least it doesn't work with God God says when we pull the smoke screen on him, he doubly examines us for the effort. Jesus is clear. When it comes to being censorious about others, he says, don't. And fortunately, sometimes if we're honest, the average Christian can be the most piercing, critical individual on planet earth. We can be. Let's be honest. It is the Holy Spirit who is in the proper position as the Word of God is read and preached and proclaimed and lived out in the lives of those around us. It is the Holy Spirit who is in the proper position to convict our brother 
or sister of his sin. And when you, I, you and I are censorious every day, it changes us. We become harsh, bitter, vindictive, and cruel. It leaves us thinking that somehow God has made me just a little bit better than you. And the devil delights. For as long as I'm worried about what's short in your life, I'll never really let the Holy Spirit transform mine. Let us pray. You are such a gracious and forgiving God. You'd think we'd be such a gracious and forgiving people. You would think, oh God, that we who have drunk from the goblet of grace would extend that same goblet to our brother. Forgive us, oh God for receiving grace, but not giving grace. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.